Would you join me? So bow our heads in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for today. Man, tell you what, we can't get enough of your word, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to be here. Lord, we thank you for giving us another day, Lord, breath in our lungs, Lord. May we not take for granted. And may it not go to waste, Lord. Would you fill us, Holy Spirit? Give us that attention and focus. And guide us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' pray. name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Good morning and welcome. So glad you're here. You can be seated. I want to welcome those of you that are joining us online as well. We're so glad that you are. Uh, before we get started, I need to mention two things that I already announced Tuesday at our prayer meeting and then again on Thursday at our Bible study. Uh, first, we would cover your prayers for my wife, Kelly, who has been battling breast cancer. Uh, I hope you know this about us. We are not seeking pity, only prayer. Please pray. We've known about it for several months, but now it seems to already be spreading into the lymph nodes. We didn't go public with this back in the summer because we didn't want any unnecessary attention on us. Uh, my amazing wife, for those of you who know my wife, she's amazing. Uh, for those of you who don't know my wife, she's amazing. Uh, but she's also very private, as you know, and she has faithfully and continually reminded me that I'm to keep my hands to the plow and preach the Word, as I'm so privileged to in this His church. So I've sought to do that uh, over the last several months. But be that as it may, secondly, I am going to take some time off starting tomorrow and returning, Lord willing, and if we're still here, <laughs> Tuesday, January 9th for our next prayer meeting, not January 2nd. We're not going to uh, do it the day after New Year's. So uh, we're going to have our uh, prayer meeting on Tuesday, January 9th. That's the second Tuesday of January. And I will return, Lord willing, for that prayer meeting and be back in the pulpit. One last thing. Um, the Lord knows my heart. I mean this with all of my heart. I have an amazing wife, but I also am privileged to have an amazing church. And I just want to say thank you to all of you, uh, locally especially, but online as well. You are such a loving church, a giving church, and especially a praying church. And now more than ever, I just appreciate your prayers. So let's get to it. I, I got a lot actually, and I wasn't supposed to do that. My wife said, don't lose it. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I won't. This is our prophecy update, first service. Uh, we've been doing these weekly prophecy updates for many years. Second service is usually a verse-by-verse -verse teaching, which will be live streamed at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time. But today is going to be a topical teaching out of Second Chronicles chapter 20, because last week we finished Third John, and I didn't want to start in Jude uh, on the Sunday before I took some time off. So 
Uh, what we're going to do today, again, second service, is look at seven things we can do when we don't know what to do in the midst of those impossible situations that we find ourselves in in our lives. So that'll be again second service at 11.15, and that's Hawaii time. And for those of you online watching by way of YouTube or Facebook, just a reminder to let you know that uh, you might want to go to jdfrog.org now, so you will not have any uninterrupted, uh, because we're not going to live stream the entirety of today's message for censoring reasons uh, on those social media platforms. But the entirety will be live streamed on our website uninterrupted. So with that, let's get to it. As I mentioned last week, today is going to be part two of an update I titled Expect the unexpected concerning this ongoing COP28 that's held in Dubai this year. COP is the acronym for Conference of the Parties, and this is the 28th Conference of the Parties. It's still ongoing. By way of a preface, though, let me hasten to say that the purpose of all of these updates has been, is now, and will continue to be to get Jesus to people and people to Jesus. And if you'll hang in there with me, I'll answer the question of how doing a two-part update on COP28 can actually accomplish this. So for now, I want to lay the prophetic foundation, as it were, with prophecies like Daniel 9.27, which we looked at last week. It foretells of a strengthening of, a confirming of, even an enforcing of a seven-year agreement with many. Now what's interesting about the Daniel 9.27 prophecy is that it provides details, what I like to call prophetic timestamps. And in Daniel 9.27 we have a very significant prophetic timestamp right at the midpoint, three and a half years, 1260 days in, when the Antichrist, three and a half years into the seven year tribulation, declares He is God in the temple of God, demanding to be worshipped as God. Um, it's at this point that he commits what is referred to as an abomination that causes desolation, aka the abomination of desolation, which in turn will result in the Jews fleeing to Petra in modern day Jordan, where God will protect them for the last three and a half years of the seven year tribulation. Are you with me so far? So important is this one particular prophecy in Daniel 9.27 that the Savior Himself refers to it in what we affectionately refer to as the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. I want to read beginning in verse 15. Jesus is speaking, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, 
Daniel 9.27, he's referring to Daniel 9.27. Standing in the holy place, and then we're told parenthetically, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea, Jerusalem, flee to the mountains, Petra. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Well, now that's an interesting detail. Clearly, Jesus is speaking to the Jews of the Jews during the tribulation. So specific is this prophecy and warning and woe about being pregnant and praying that the flight is not on the Sabbath or during the winter is because transportation from Jerusalem to Petra, about 120 miles, becomes nearly and virtually impossible. If you're with child, and for those of you that have been to Israel, try to go anywhere on the Sabbath. You remember standing in front of the Shabbat elevators? Dun, 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 dun. Oh, they don't work because it's Shabbat. So try, try to get somewhere on the Sabbath. Everything shuts down for the Sabbath. Pray that when you do flee, it's not on the Sabbath. And then he goes on, verse 21, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, speaking of Israel, God's chosen people, those days will be shortened. Fast forward to Revelation chapter 12. I want to read verses 13 and 14, because it provides us with even more detail about this specific prophetic event at the midpoint, the three and a half year mark of the seven year tribulation, when the Jews flee after the abomination that causes desolation, because that's when the Jews are going to realize this is not our Messiah. This is a false Messiah. And the false Christ, the Antichrist, will be the, the catalyst, if you will, to bring the Jews to a saving knowledge of their true Messiah at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation. Now listen to Revelation chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. Now, when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman, that's Israel, who gave birth to the male child, that's Jesus, the Son of God, God the Son. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. The eagle typology in Scripture is not referring to America. It is referring to God. That she might fly into the wilderness to her place, Petra, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Three and a half years. A time 
and times and half a time. The last three and a half years, God is going to protect His people, the Jewish people. For the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation from the Antichrist, who is still quite literally hell-bent on destroying and eliminating and exterminating and terminating, and all of those that rhyme with that, the Jewish people, which he's been trying to do since the beginning of time, starting with the murder of Abel by Cain. Why has Satan been trying to exterminate and eliminate the Jewish people? Because he wanted to try unsuccessfully, he would never succeed in thwarting the coming of the Messiah who would come from the woman. The seed of the woman, that's the virgin birth, Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelicum. I don't want to get too far into this, time doesn't permit, but it's important to understand that from the beginning of time, Satan, who is not all-knowing, has tried to eliminate that seed of the woman, the Jewish people, because Jesus the Messiah, shocking I know, is a Jew. Have a nice afternoon. So if he could exterminate the Jews, then the Messiah could not come. Well, clearly he failed, obviously, and Jesus came the first time. Now, he's at it again. And you go through Scripture, I mean, go to Pharaoh, having all of the Hebrew boys cast into the Nile to their certain death, save one, Moses, a type of Jesus as a deliverer. Go to the book of Esther, one of the most fascinating books in the Bible. I spent some time in my time with the Lord in the book of Esther this last week. I love that book. I actually don't love it. There's parts of it that I don't love that much. But Haman, demon possessed, gets King Artaxerxes to issue an irreversible edict to exterminate all of the Jews. Here comes, of which his wife Esther, the queen, is one, unbeknownst to him. And so the plot is thwarted. Why did Haman want to have all of the Jews killed? Because he was demonically possessed to do so, to try to eliminate the Jewish people. Go through the Old Testament, all throughout, replete throughout Bible history and Bible prophecy. Let's go to the New Testament real quick. Is that okay? Just we're taking the scenic route. We'll get there. Herod. Remember when he's having that dialogue with the kings from the east? Oh, I, I heard a king is born. Tell me where he is that I might worship him too. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> These wise men were wise. That's why they were called wise men. They're like, they were wise to what he really wanted to do. He wanted to kill him, which is why the boys two years and under of age were butchered in an attempt satanically to exterminate the Jews because a king was born, the savior of the world. Let's go to the last uh, uh, century, the last uh, in the, uh, sounds weird, doesn't it, when you say the 1900s? Hey, some of us were born in the 1900s, right? Don't you hate it when you have to do everything online now, and you have to enter your birth date, and you got to scroll down? 
Man, I hope it's on there. <laughs> you young people have no idea. I mean, you just, you just put it on auto scroll. Oh, there it is. Thank God it's there. Anyway, where was I? It was deeply profound. Um, oh, yeah. So the 1900s, Hitler, demonically possessed to exterminate all of the Jewish people. Why? Because Satan didn't succeed, would never succeed in thwarting the first coming, but he's still going to try to thwart the second coming, because at the end of the tribulation it is the Jew who calls upon the Lord to come. See, Satan knows Bible prophecy more than we'll ever know. And the Jews have to call for him to come, the one whom they pierced, at the end of the tribulation, because that's the purpose of the tribulation, is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. They're going to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because of, in the midst of the seven-year tribulation, and at the end of the tribulation, they call upon him, call for him. And Satan knows that. So he's going to try one more time, and he will fail. By the way, parenthetically, let me, let me say that this is one of the main reasons why Christians don't read the book of Revelation. Satan keeps Christians out of the book of Revelation under the banner of it's a very complicated book, too hard to understand. Do you realize it's the only book in the Bible that promises a blessing to those who read it, hear it, take it to heart? Revelation 1.3. And not only that, but Satan doesn't want you to read. How would you like someone reading a book about how it ends for you, <laughs> and it doesn't have a good ending? I, I, I don't want you. Satan hates the book of Revelation, and rightfully so, because it outs him and it describes for us the end of him and how it ends for him. Uh, by the way, one more thing <laughs> on this. So you know Jude is a very short letter. Do you know what comes after Jude? Revelation, if we're still here. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of a joke around here. It's kind of like, are you going to get to the book of Revelation before the rapture? I don't know. I hope not. <laughs> I'd much rather have the rapture come, but anyway. So the Jewish people are going to be protected for the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation, after the abomination that causes desolation. And these prophecies comport with what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, which provides us with even more detail. So much so that verse 3 provides us a timeline of the pre-tribulation rapture happening first, it must, such that the Antichrist cannot be revealed until the church of Christ has been raptured. Once the church is raptured, the restrainer removed, then the man of sin is revealed, this son of perdition, as he's called. 
And then Paul goes on to describe what will ensue when He is revealed, beginning in verse 4, 2 Thessalonians 2. He opposes and exalts Himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that He sits as God in the temple of God, showing Himself that He is God. That's Daniel 9.27. That's Matthew 24. Jesus referencing Daniel 9.27. Paul's sort of filling in some blanks for us here. And then he says, verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? I always marveled that the Apostle Paul who planted the church in Thessalonica was only there for about three months before he was ran out of town, literally ran out of town. And this was a new church with new believers, and he taught them Bible prophecy? Imagine that. Wow. Do you not remember that I was, when I was with you, I told you these things, I taught you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way, speaking of the restrainer. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Can't wait. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. I want to move quickly, so please buckle up. Add to this the well-known prophecy in Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonica, which is actually the first epistle Paul penned. It's so packed with so much that one could rightly superimpose the prophecy in just this one verse, chapter 5, verse 3, over the theme of this year's COP28. Before I read this, may, because how many years, how many times have I read and talked and taught about this verse? That, that, that can be a problem because you know it so well. It doesn't have the same impact on you. So might I humbly ask that you allow the Holy Spirit to give you ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, even though you've heard this verse so many times. 1 Thessalonians 5.3, for when they say, while they're saying, two words. What are those two words? Peace and security. Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. 
So here, Paul is echoing the words of the Savior who likens the signs of the end to the labor pains coming upon a woman who is expecting. What's unexpected is the suddenness of when the birth pains are going to come. She's expecting the unexpected because she's expecting. I hope you got that because that's as good as it's going to get for now anyway. So this is yet another well-known prophecy also found in Matthew 24, and I want to read it. You've heard it a jillion times before, but I want to read from verses 4 through 8. And as I do, I want you to look for something that I want to point out that's not so easily seen at first read, that upon closer examination points to this year's COP28 specifically. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 4. Jesus is answering their question about what will be the signs of your return, the end of the age. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, threats of wars, this, the scourge of war, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. And then verse 8, he says, all these are the beginning of birth pain. So he's likening his coming to a baby coming preceded by the birth pains. And by the way, we've talked about this. It bears repeating. I think it's appropriate to uh, say this again. Once those birth pains start, that baby's a coming. You'll forgive the silliness with which I illustrated, but could you imagine a woman in labor, and then the doctor comes in and says, you know what, I got a staff meeting. Uh, can you just hold on? No, I'm at a nine. Listen, I learned a lot about, more than any man should know about the whole process. But uh, I'm dilated at a nine. You're going to have a staff meeting? This baby's coming with or without you. Ready or not, here I come. And that's what Jesus is saying. Once these birth pains start, they're not stopping. The baby's coming. Once these prophetic birth pains start and begin, I'm coming. There's no stopping it. And that's why he likens it like the Apostle Paul after him to birth pains. Now, here's what I wanted to point out. Again, not so easily seen at first read, but Jesus likening his return to this list of birth pains, but he includes famines, pestilences, and earthquakes, all of which have this one common denominator, namely climate change, Mother Nature, which is the impetus for the SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals of, listen, peace, security, and they added one, health to sustain the earth. 
in their worship of Mother Earth, as they worship the creation and not the creator. And this is what Paul said in Romans 1, verse 25. Notice the, the verbiage inspired by the Holy Spirit. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They believed the lie, 2 Thessalonians 20, 22, 22. Yeah, there's not 22 chapters in 2 Thessalonians 2, chapter 2. They believe the lie, the strong delusion. They've exchanged the truth and believed the lie. What's the lie? Oh, they worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who was forever praised. Amen. Last week I quoted King Charles delivering his address at the opening ceremony in which he stated, and I quote, the earth does not belong to us we belong to the earth. I mean, excuse me, <laughs> uh, last time I checked, uh, we have dominion over the earth. Oh, but we worship the Creator. Oh, I, I'm sorry, I, I forgot. You worship the creation. You've exchanged the truth, Creator, for the lie, creation. Well, that explains everything. Enter COP28, and with it Agenda 2030, both of which mandate that all 17 of these SDGs against sustainable development goals are met in seven years by 2030. And by the way, this is probably another, I don't think we'll be here for, for this. I, I, I'm going to stop saying another topic for another time. I don't think there is time for another topic for another time. But there's actually an 18th sustainable development goal. Don't you hate it when I do that? <laughs> so again, have a nice afternoon. Now let's add to that this Guardian article titled COP28. King Charles warns of, listen to this, vast, frightening experiment on natural world. What? <laughs> Listen to this chilling quote. King Charles warned, we are carrying out a vast, frightening experiment of changing every ecological condition all at once at a pace that far outstrips nature's ability to cope. How dangerous are we actually prepared to make our world? Did you just say that? In other words, this is geoengineering. They're experimenting. They're dimming the sun. They're spraying the skies. They're poisoning land, air, and sky. No, air sky. Water. There we go. I told you it's been a rough week. Just you got to be nice to me. We're carrying out, they're experimenting. They're making, are we actually prepared to make our world, how dangerous are we actually? In other words, we're making it dangerous. 
I know you are because Revelation 11 tells me that you would. What do you mean? Oh, God is going to destroy those who destroy the earth. Can't wait. Why do they want to destroy the earth? Why are they experimenting and changing nature, creation, the ecological conditions simultaneously, all at once at a pace that far outstrips nature's ability to cope? Why are you doing that? Because you hate God's creation. Because God created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them is. And you hate anything that God created, especially man who he created in his image. Here's one more have a nice afternoon. Last one, maybe. Satan hates your guts because you're made in his image, which is why Satan is going to try and alter the human DNA to make man in his image, unredeemable. Did you know that that Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, those four Hebrew letters are in the DNA of mankind? His, the name of God is on our DNA, the name of ownership. He created us in his image. That's chicken skin, isn't it? Goosebumps for those of you on the mainland. Sorry. That was kind of mean. Well, you're kind of being mean to me too. So I want to read you one more quote from this breathtaking article, no pun intended. It goes on to state, listen very carefully, several countries already experience climate change induced famine, climate change induced famine. They're inducing the climate change, destroying the earth. And the climate change that they've induced is what's inducing the famine, which is what the SDGs and Agenda 2030 and COP28 are all about. We're running out of food. No, we're not. You're destroying the food supply. And you're going to forbid, this is Second Timothy, people to eat meat. Man, I went to the store the other day. I shouldn't have done this. You go through the meat section, don't go through the meat section. I mean, if the shelves are not bare, and most of them are, where's the beef? It's, it's bugs now. It's better than burger. No, it's not Bill Gates. It's genetically modified organisms, GMO. Just think about that. Let that sink in. GMO, genetically, genetically modified organisms. And I'm going to eat that? Yes, you are. And you'll be happy. They're the ones inducing it. They're the ones doing it climate change. They're changing the climate. They've been doing it for years. I got so much more. I got to keep going. So stop doing that. Okay. Let's uh, turn a corner. I want to try to connect these prophetic dots with <laughs> I mean, the significant developments, again, seems like an understatement from this year's COP28. And 
I'll say it again, my hope in doing so is to get Jesus to people and people to Jesus with open eyes to see just how close we are. And I mean, we are so close to the pre-tribulation rapture. So we'll go ahead at this time and uh, end the live stream on Facebook and YouTube. So sorry. I told you at the beginning to go to the website. So what follows are several quotes. We provided links to the original sources. They're available on our downloadable PDF file at the website. I'm going to go through these and I want you to listen for the wording, which is verbatim, the words in God's Word concerning Bible prophecy. And before I do, I want to give a shout out to two brothers in Christ, to whom I owe a debt of gratitude for all their help on this. Craig Bong of Rapture Watchers on Facebook, and Tyler of Generation 2434 on YouTube. They were a huge blessing to me. It, it's just so voluminous. I want to start by reading an email I received from Craig Bong who's been following COPS since its inception. He is a wealth of information. Uh, we've included a couple of his links, one of which is to an outstanding must-watch video where he was interviewed by Janie Duvall pertaining to this particular conference of the parties, COP28. Here's what he had to say. Hello, JD. I was so blessed to hear your update today, last week, 12-3. You had a list of things you wanted to research and find resources on. I have all those resources. The person that wrote the email to you is one of my followers on the Facebook group Rapture Watchers. The calendar being off, speaking of the feast, by three months is revealed in Leviticus 23.39 concerning Sukkot, that the appointed time was to be after all the produce of the land was harvested. Josephus gives clarity to this in his eyewitness account in the Antiquities of the Jews and states, the seventh month is the season of the year changing for winter, and that the tabernacles were erected inside their homes in order to stay warm that time of year. Feast of Sukkot or booths or tabernacles is the seventh of seven feasts. The calendar used today by the nation of Israel is the Hillel II calendar of 359 AD. The COP28 countdown began February 17, 2023, with 42 weeks to go when King Charles and Dr. Sultan al-Jabr shook hands. The COP program then did a 40-week countdown from Women's Day, very significant, March 8th to November 30th in preparation for this event. The seven-year bilateral agreement was signed March 21st, listen, guaranteeing peace and security for Israel. And from that point to December 12th, is also 40 weeks. December 12th will be germane uh, in just a moment. There have been numerous quotes concerning the countdown with seven years left that are connected to COP28. The only one still up directly on COP28 websites is on Facebook's COP28 UAE page and is pinned 
on top as this COP is the start of a seven-year sprint to cut emissions by 43%. A global stock take is the strengthening, listen, strengthening of international cooperation, a mechanism within the Paris Agreement to bring about a five-year implementation and two-year assessment every seven years. Not eight, not six, seven. I'll only do that one time. It has been seven years since the enforcement of the Paris Agreement on November 4, 2016, with now seven years to go. Final negotiations to the deal are on December 10th, that's today, through the 12th, that's Tuesday. The sign of the opening of the gates, or journey of souls, occurs on December 12th. It should be noted that the United Nations has declared this Tuesday, December 12th, 2023, an International Day of Neutrality. The end date to this stock take can be found at the website pictured here at focus2030.org. Now, I took this screenshot on Thursday. It's a countdown clock. And I want to draw your attention. This is Thursday now. They have a countdown clock to achieving the sustainable development goals by 2030. And as of Thursday, the countdown in real time was at seven years, zero months, 24 days, 13 hours, 18 minutes, and 17 seconds, and counting. And that was on Thursday. We've got that link if you want to. <laughs> I don't recommend it for the faint of heart. Uh, it's it's kind of eerie. It's kind of like you're counting down the seven-year tribulation. <laughs> wow. Okay. Picture here is a 24-page downloadable PDF file of the seven-year global climate deal draft text on, quote, matters relating to the global stock take under the Paris Agreement. We're at the seven-year mark since 2016. Now, they have at this time, at this COP28, they have to confirm and strengthen that seven-year agreement slash covenant. And that's what they call it. Look at this. <laughs> the Paris Agreement is a covenant of hope? What do these people do? Do they read their Bibles? Do they have a Bible? If they do, do they read Daniel 9? Oh, we better call it a covenant, because that's what Daniel 9.27 calls it. Well, it's seven years, so we've got to make it seven now. And we have to strengthen it, enforce it, make it ekbir in Arabic and Hebrew, make it greater, stronger, more spectacular. Let's bring all these agreements under one seven-year stronger agreement and confirm it and sign it and implement it. It's a covenant of hope for the world. 
Listen to this quote. This is from the UN climate change website titled, The Paris Agreement is a Covenant of Hope. Quoting, The Paris Agreement is more than a framework, more than a set of rules and regu regulations. It is a covenant of hope with the people of the world that will help to move our current trajectory to a better destiny. And I want you to listen very carefully to what she says next, quote, Recovery from COVID-19 offers nations a chance to build forward better. Sound familiar? and to orientate green policies and plans towards this. The Paris Agreement provides the path forward. Oh, wait a minute. The Paris Agreement was in 2016. How did you know? Because isn't that like four years before COVID-19? things that make you go, hmm, hmm. How did, how did you know? Well, I, I know how you, how you know. It's like Lenin was famously quoted as saying, the best way to control the opposition is to lead it yourself. This was pre-planned. Hey, we need something to accelerate, invigorate our climate change agenda to achieve the Sustainable Development Goals four years before COVID. So we need COVID. By the way, I've said it many times before. I hope you don't tire of me saying it, because I'm going to keep saying it until I'm not here to say it. The so-called vaccine was not made for COVID. COVID was made for the so-called vaccine. Come on. Just this last Tuesday, a friend of mine emailed me about the arrest of a Barry Young, this whistleblower who published the real numbers of deaths in New Zealand as a direct result of being injected with the death shot. His data proved with evidence the pre-planned murder of 51 people who were injected in a named vaccination within one two-hour period. Pre-planned. Here's a quote from one of the reports that was published. When these people were rolling up their sleeves, the official Pfizer safety data had lists of adverse reaction covering nine pages, and there were 1,223 deaths from those initial trials. This is information that the New Zealand government had months before the vaccine rollout even began. By the way, notice the bottom of the image, if the guys could put it back up for the online church. Chances of these batches not being a killer are 100 billion with a B to 1. I don't like those odds at all. If this weren't evil enough, here's a chart showing daily deaths of more than 120 people daily from January 2020, daily 
to October 2023 daily. Let's put this into perspective. This sanctuary seats 300 people. 120 people a day. You've wiped out my church in three days. 120 people a day. This is just New Zealand. 120 people a day. This is where sometimes the numbers can just be mind-numbing. And I've talked about this. I've gotten a lot of trouble for talking about this, by the way, but that's okay. I have an audience of one. I don't care. I answer only to Him at the end of the day. But when this whole thing in Gaza with Hamas, the death toll, these are not numbers. These are people. These are souls that Jesus died for. They're not numbers. The death toll, stop it with that. That's somebody's mother or father or uncle or aunt or son or daughter, God forbid. You don't make it a number. That's 120 people every day. That was somebody's mom and dad. But God, what they've done, they've meant for evil, but God has meant it for good to bring about the salvation of many this day. Let's move on. This sort of dovetails into this next one, which is the UN website. Peace, dignity, and equality on, notice, a healthy planet. Oh, it bears the title of Maintaining International Peace and Security. Are you still doing what I asked you to do, humbly asked you to do at the beginning, to pay attention to the wording verbatim? Peace and security. Maintaining international peace and security, in which they say, and I quote, the UN Security Council has the primary responsibility for international peace and security. Thank you, God, for inspiring the Apostle Paul to pen the words we have in his first epistle to the church in Thessalonica, namely the fifth chapter and the third verse. Here's another one from the UN. This one is also under the heading of peace and security. They say, and I quote, to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war, hang on to that, are among the first words of the UN Charter. Peace and security to save succeeding generations from the scourge of war? Hmm. That's Isaiah 28.15. What's Isaiah 28.15? Well, it speaks of Israel making a covenant with death, an agreement with Sheol, in order that the, quote, scourge of war would not come upon them, making lies their refuge and hiding themselves under falsehood. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Wars and rumors of wars, the scourge of war, peace and security, lie, exchanging the truth for a lie, making lies their refuge, 
hiding themselves under falsehood, not the truth. Speaking of Israel, I would be grossly remiss were I not to again mention this week, what I mentioned last week about the UK and Israel signing a seven-year agreement back on March 22nd of this year, which they dubbed, listen, the 2030 Roadmap for Israel-UK Bilateral Relations. 2030, seven-year agreement. UK as in King Charles, Israel. Enter this stunning video posted last Wednesday titled, UN Steps Up Pressure for Gaza Ceasefire with Strongest Move Since 1971. You've got to scroll down pretty far for that year too. Here's a quote from the transcript. Given the scale of the loss of human life in Gaza and in Israel in such a short amount of time, the Secretary General has today delivered a letter to the President of the Security Council invoking Article 99 of the Charter of the United Nations. This is the first time that Antonio Guterres has done this since he became Secretary General in 2017. Article 99 states, and I quote, that the Secretary General may bring to the attention of the Security Council any matter in his opinion, that may threaten the maintenance of international peace and security in the letter which has been shared with I'm still quoting. It doesn't look like I'm still quoting, but I am. In the letter which has been shared with you, the Secretary General urges the members of the Security Council to press to avert a humanitarian catastrophe, and he appeals for a humanitarian ceasefire to be declared to maintain international peace and security. That was on Wednesday. Two days ago on Friday, the UN published a report that the US had vetoed the resolution on Gaza, which they claim calls, they couch it in terms of calling for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. Uh, this is probably as good of a time as any, and thank you for hanging in there with me. Bible prophecy makes it very clear in no uncertain terms that Israel is ground zero. You know that, right? It all goes down in Israel. That's ground zero. And it's for this reason that the analogy of God's prophetic clock has Israel as the hour hand, Jerusalem as the minute hand, and the Temple Mount as the second hand. So how does that all tie into COP28, Agenda 2030, the SDGs et al. I'm glad you asked. What if I told you, or maybe better said, reminded you, that one Benjamin Netanyahu made a deal with the devil, Pfizer, and sold Pfizer all of the DNA of all of the Israelis in Israel to show them in return favor 
economically. They were the driving force behind Pfizer and the reason for Pfizer being in Israel. And talk about death toll. Nobody talks about it. Netanyahu, I've shared the quote. It was edited out in an interview with Jordan Peterson. I mean, Jordan Peterson realized, he, they put it up initially, and then they realized, and it got the backlash, and they edited out the portion where Netanyahu boasts about selling Israelis' DNA to Pfizer. And they edited it out. That's quite telling, isn't it? So what if I told you that not only was Israel, and is Israel still at the helm of the vaccine, so-called? But what if I told you that they are also at the helm of climate change, so-called? Would you believe me? They are. Make no mistake about it. Israel is at the center of this year's COP28, which is why they sent over 1,000 delegates to COP28, unprecedented. We've included this link. It's another video from an earlier interview of Craig Bong by Janie Duval. It was actually three months prior to COP28. And dare I say that the focal point of and on Israel is not only pronounced and prevalent, but so too is it prophetic with respect to what's happening in real time and at breakneck speak, speed, as we speak, by the way. The sessions planned for today, December 10th, they're on the home stretch to Tuesday, December 12th. The speed with which this is going and ongoing at COP28, this conference of the parties, it has to be decided by Tuesday, December 12th. Look at Israel's climate audit goals. They're at the helm of this. They're driving this. I'm just going to quote it developing a preparedness plan for Israel's security system, carrying out climate impact assessments on Israel's economy, rolling out a carbon tax. Can you say carbon credit score? This is Israel reporting on financial bodies' activities in the field. <laughs> I'm not going to say another topic for another time, but we've talked about that. Updating on the status of Israel's climate legislation. Translated, there's going to be climate legislation restrictions. And developing a comprehensive framework for managing the climate crisis. <laughs> the crisis you created. You create the crisis, you control the opposition, the reaction, and then you conveniently offer the final solution. Pun intended. Crisis, reaction, solution. Problem, reaction, solution. Textbook Hegelian dialectic. 
<laughs> we, we got a crisis. You created it. And by the way, God's not going to let you get away with it. I can't wait. I, 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 I reserved a front row seat for Revelation chapter 11. Can say, Lord, just please, can I? Please, can I just, can I just watch? I won't say anything. <laughs> I won't need, I won't be able to. I'm just going, oh. Okay, that's too much. Here's my point. And yes, I have a point and I'm almost done. Israel is right smack in the middle, in the center of everything that's happening at COP28. Just as they were with COVID-19. Exactly as we're told in the many pages of Bible prophecy. Listen to this quote from Israeli Ambassador Gideon Behar, a special envoy for climate change and sustainability at the Foreign Ministry. Quote, the world is looking to Israel to come up with solutions. Well, how's that working out for you? <laughs> the, the final solution. I, I, the world is looking to Israel for solutions. We are on an international and historic mission. Wow. One last thing. Did I say one last thing yet? Not on this island. So we're good? It's the COP28 UAE seven-year path to 2030, released on Friday. Craig Bong sent me this, where they boast about being at the midpoint, watch, seven days in towards seven years on, which fits in with the countdown to what Bible prophecy calls the seven-year tribulation. Now, to the question before us concerning how expecting the unexpected from COP28 gets Jesus to people and people to Jesus. At the risk of an oversimplification, I'm just going to simply say this. All the prophecies that we just read, all the reports that were just quoted, all the links that we've provided, point with prophetic precision to the end. Please know that God does not want us to be ignorant concerning Bible prophecy. Why do you think well nigh one third of the Bible is prophecy? God wants us to know what's going to happen before it happens. So when it happens, believers will lift up their heads knowing their redemption draws nigh, and non-believers will believe. That's the purpose of prophecy, is to get people to Jesus, who's the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He's the solution. In, in a way, you could, you could actually say Gideon Bahar is somewhat right, sort of, kind of. The world is looking to Israel for the solution. But the solution, the answer is and did come out of Israel. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the solution. Jesus is the answer that the whole world needs to look to. This is exactly what Bible prophecy tells us what happened at the time of the end. And I'm going to say it again. This is the end. This is the end. 
This is how it ends. This is it. Let me try it a different way. <laughs> this is it. The end. You know the end? The end. Da, 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 da. That's the end. And there's no credits after because we're already at the end. Bottom line, the seven-year tribulation is about to begin at the appointed time according to the Feast of the Lord recorded in Leviticus 23, meaning that the rapture, which must happen first, is about to happen anytime. Last week we were so blessed, right, when JB and Mai from Japan shared with us. I just, I, I told Mai that when she shared about how she was watching, you know, these Bible prophecy updates, and she said to herself and even prayed to the Lord, if this is the end of the world, then I'm in trouble. And that's what got her to Jesus, and she got saved. If this is the end, then I'm in big trouble. And she got out of trouble by getting into Christ and coming to Christ. Bible prophecy gets people to Jesus and Jesus to people. You'll forgive me, but it scares the hell out of people. <laughs> I would rather scare the hell out of you and the heaven into you than just get up here and tell you what you want to hear, flatter you into hell. I'd rather, I'd rather scare you into heaven. How am I doing? <laughs> I mean, if you, listen, if you didn't know Jesus and you didn't know Bible prophecy, the spirit of, 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 of prophecy, Jesus, this stuff would freak you out, right? I mean, the Bible says that when they're saying peace and security, which they're saying every day, all day, and have been for years, that sudden destruction's coming. And the thing about sudden destruction, you know about sudden destruction. It's sudden, the destruction. You expect the unexpected. It'll happen suddenly. And they will not escape, but we who are alive and remain will escape. It will come upon them, not we, B-O-E. We who are alive and remain will be caught up. And I just want to end this way, because when my came to that realization that if this is the end, I'm in trouble, and it brought her to Christ. If you don't know Jesus Christ and have never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, I implore you, I plead with you, I beg of you, today is the day, because the rapture can happen at any time, any day. This is the good news. And the good news, by the way, is not just that Jesus came and was crucified and buried and rose again on the third day, but He's coming back again one day, as He promised He would. That's the good news, the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. The ABCs is just a a simple childlike way to share Jesus with people, if you're ever privileged with that opportunity to do so. The A is for simply acknowledge or admit that 
you're a sinner. <laughs> because otherwise, why would you be interested in a Savior if you're not a sinner? Romans 3.10 says, there's no one righteous, not even one. No one will ever be good enough. You might be good, but none are good. Good enough. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark, which is what sin means. It's an archery term. You missed the bullseye, you sinned, you fell short. We've missed that bullseye of God's perfect standard of righteousness. And we've all transgressed and broken the law of God. And now we need Jesus who fulfilled the law of God, the only one to do so perfectly, sinlessly. So we're guilty as charged. Now we've got to enter the sentencing phase. You've been found guilty. Here's your sentence. You ready for it? This is the bad news. Bad news first. Death. What? Yeah, the wages of sin is death. You've been sentenced to death because you've broken the law, fallen short of God's perfect standard of righteousness, God's glory. You sin, and the penalty is the death penalty. That's the bad news. You ready for the good news? You're in that courtroom. The judge of the universe has just sentenced you to death, and in walks a man, no ordinary man, the God-man, Jesus the Christ. And he says to the judge of the universe, stop. I will die for him. Because of my love for him, greater love hath no man than that of laying down his life for another. I will go to my death in his stead. And the judge of the universe looks at you and says, Hall, because remember, he's a local judge. <laughs> Hall, good news. Your debt has been paid. You are free to go. And Jesus goes to his death in your stead, and he pays in full and purchases you and me. We are not our own, but purchased with the price. He pays for the gift. You know, this time of year, you go buy gifts. Gifts are gifts. If you try to pay for that gift that you receive, it's not a gift, it's a purchase. And don't re-gift. You can't re-gift this gift, by the way, just letting you know. So who, who purchased it? He did. How much did it cost? Everything. So he purchased this gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's paid for in full. It's a gift for you to receive. Here's the B, very central. Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, to believe is, even the demons believe and tremble, right? So it's not just, yeah, I believe. No, 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 no. To believe in your heart means you're putting your trust in believing in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. That's what believing is. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 9 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And the C, lastly, 
is for call upon the name of the Lord or confess with your mouth. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then it's going to come out of your mouth. You're going to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might, not could, not should, will. The jury's not out. The verdict is in. All means all. <laughs> JB is so adorable. She says all means all. She, she's been translating anyway, a poor woman. She has uh, treasures in heaven. All means all. All who call will, not might, will be saved. Again, I implore you, if you've never called upon the name of the Lord, believing in your heart, Today's the day of salvation, man. I mean, I don't know how, what more, <laughs> I hope this comes out right. What, what more do you need? What are you waiting for? And why in the world would you delay the most important decision of your life for eternal life with everything that is happening in this world right now? I'm not yelling at you. <laughs> I am kind of, but I'm pleading with you. I implore you. I, I'm begging of you as a pastor, which is my privilege to be of this amazing church. I'm pleading with you. And those of you watching online, today is the day of salvation. Jesus is coming. That trumpet's going to sound. Be ready. Be ready. Okay. Today's about God testimony. See, I have to do this because I'm going to be gone for a while. So I'm making up for lost time in advance. Today's But God testimony comes from Stacy Desiree, who writes, Hi, JD. I just wanted to let you know how excited I am. I've been listening to your prophecy update since about 2018, you poor woman. And I am also going through the book of Ezekiel with you. All these years I've been telling people to listen and they pay no mind to my suggestion. So a couple months ago I told my sister-in-law about one of your prophecy updates and sent her the link. And I didn't have much hope because that's just the way it goes. Well, guess what? A couple weeks ago she told me that not only did she watch it, but she also keeps on watching you every week. She seemed to be glowing. She went back and watched a few previous updates. If that's not enough, she's also going through the book of Ezekiel with you. And I did not even tell her to. But God had, has a plan for her all along. Please pray for the Lord to continue to speak to her. Her name is Margie. Yes, Lord, for Margie. And then she ends this way. Thank you for being you. <laughs> I love you. Thank you so much for that. Capono, come on up. You can stand up. Thanks for your patience. Yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> Thank you for being you. I can't be anybody else. I can't pretend to be anybody else. I, I did try that once. It didn't work out very well at all. Lord, thank you. Wow, we've 
kind of covered <laughs> quite a bit today. I know, as one said, it can be like drinking water out of a fire hose, but it's the water of life. So, so be it, Lord. It's happening. And I just pray that anyone who's maybe here in this church service or watching online that has never made the most important decision of their life, I pray that today they would surrender to you. That they would get saved. Now, today, Lord, lastly, I'm just going to pray as I end every prayer every week, it seems now. Come quickly, Lord. Maranatha. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.